Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to Take It Away, the complete Paul McCartney archive podcast. Welcome back to Take It Away, the complete Paul McCartney archive podcast. We have another special episode for you today. We are talking about Paul McCartney's covers, not people covering Paul, but Paul McCartney covering his favorite artists and his favorite songs. And like our live episode is not going to be something that is definitive. Think of it more of a survey or an introduction, something that can start a conversation with you listening, us on our Facebook, on email. It's the same type of thing. You know, in a way, this is even more material than our live episode because we have all these artists. It's not just Paul's performances, but all these artists. Some of them go back to the 20s, these songs. And they come from albums, there are multiple songwriters, there are multiple artists that have covered them throughout the years, throughout the decades, if you really dig down deep. Dude, if we're going back to Bye Bye Blackbird, we're talking almost a century. So the point is that this could, like the live episode, it could be its own podcast where we sit here and we go, okay, let's talk about Elvis's first four albums that some of these songs are pulled from. Let's talk about Fats Domino's career. And by the way... I am now one of the biggest Fats Domino fans, <laughs> period. I love the Fats, guy. Fats is pretty great. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's pretty really, great. really good. Where do you want to start on this mountain of a topic? Well, I think we should start by seeing if we can kind of figure out to our satisfaction what the heck a cover even is. Because once I started thinking about it, I realized that it's not that straightforward. I guess a cover is a product of the rock era, really. Right. And even that's... Very specific in a way, because just singing a song that someone else wrote is not a cover. Right. If that were the case, then we'd have a lot of artists who are nothing but cover artists, but then that's not quite right. Mm -hmm. If you look at the history of jazz vocalists doing standards, that's not the same as covers, right? No. Sinatra has songs that he came along and made, you know, a very famous version of, you know, in 1950 something, right? Of a Mm -hmm. song. That's somebody else had made famous in the 20s, but it wasn't a cover. It was just two people doing that song. Right. So I think for it to be a cover, it has to be sort of a record that somebody made, maybe of their own song, or they did it first, something like that. You said the rock and roll era. So a lot of these charts, Billboard or Enemy didn't start until what the 40s or 50s. So maybe it's the advent of the the vinyl record. You know, we're going from sheet music to this is a record. This is the definitive version or the hit version. And the idea of a record as a thing in its own right, not just a version of something, but the record is its own product. Because even with country music, it's kind of tough. I was thinking about Emmylou Harris's, I don't know, first 10 albums. You're right. Are they covers albums? Not really. No, I, yeah. Some of those are records that other people made famous, including a few Beatles tunes. Right. But she's more like a curator and a stylist of a certain kind of country music. 
not a cover artist. So what really is a cover? What's your idea of like a straightforward, yes, that's a cover? I guess it would be if there's some sort of definitive version of a song and the artist wrote the song or originated originated from a group or an artist and another right. artist covers it. Excuse me. Wow. See, it's even become ubiquitous. <laughs> it's so ingrained, right? Another artist r- records it or performs it. I guess it's a cover. Yeah. And you know, the artist who originated it doesn't even have to have made it famous. Right. So yeah. I'm not sure what any what any of this actually is. For example, Kisses on the Bottom, I'm not convinced is actually a covers album. We're going to deal with it on this episode. I feel the same way. It's standards. It's Paul singing standards. Yeah. And then even looking back on something like Run, Devil, Run, th- that's Paul doing standards, sort of. They're not, some of those aren't well-known songs. Right. But those feel more like covers to me than Kisses on the Bottom because... They feel more like covers, yes. It's from an era. That was the era of, okay, Nat King Cole or Sam Cooke or whomever. Oh, yeah, that's the flavor of the day, that song. Somebody in the Brill Building or wherever wrote it. Yeah, we're all going to do our version. Okay. What's that band, Rain? If what you do is just a kind of impression of a band... (laughs) <laughs> and well, you're in the, the business of playing band. the tribute the band. tribute band right. right that's true cover territory right and i say it passes beyond cover oh it does doesn't it's ultra cover well because <laughs> they're not it's not chris mercer doing the song rain and i know you're talking about a band i think right. there's a band yeah. called rain chris band mercer rain, performing yeah. rain that's you covering the beatles i'm that's 100 percent right. on that but if you're up there Dressed like John Lennon in 1967 in the Sgt. Pepper outfit with the mustache and the glasses, then that's that's musical theater. And I don't even know what the hell that is. I don't think that's a cover anymore. That's an impersonation. Right. Well, something that struck me about some of these Macca tracks, actually, is that some of them are impressions. Really, sometimes he's doing an Elvis impression. Yeah. Some of the ones on Run, Devil, Run are really pretty close to the originals. Like he goes right. with the same feel. Right. Like we'll get into Coquette, but Ooh, that's a good Coquette one. is a, 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 oh, it's a good one. It's a really old song, but he's not doing like a Sinatra take on Coquette. He's really doing no. Bats Domino's Coquette. Exactly. Specifically the right. Bats Domino version. And right? that's why I'm such a fan because I'm, I'm digging <laughs> to these Coquettes. And it's like, oh, this is orchestral music, orchestral music. And then it's this, and it's that. And then dun, 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 dun that piano riff. And you're like, oh, so Fats added to this. Right. So Paul's covering Fats' version. He's not necessarily covering a song. He's covering a recording, right? It's funny because I never even knew Fats Domino's version until I reviewed for this episode. Like that song means something else entirely to me. Yeah. It's exactly the same. And, you know, we live in this era of Spotify or Apple. I'm like, I'm not buying all these songs. I need to stream some of them. And when you're digging around and doing your research, it's like, okay, some of this stuff has made it to Spotify. Some of it is just available in unofficial versions on YouTube. And you're like, oh, okay. And there's a lot of piecing together that I had to do on this episode. And I had a lot of aha moments. And I think everybody listening may have those as well, which is why I'm, I'm excited to get going. Yeah, I was truly pleased to see some of the recordings from the 20s on YouTube. I don't know if they're on Spotify. I didn't look. I just went straight to YouTube for some, some of, of them stuff. are. I, not all of them. I found quite a few things from the 20s, from the Kisses on the Bottom, but I think of myself as knowing a lot of standards, 
But actually, some of the songs he chose... You do. Yeah, but some of the songs he... Well, I know the Sinatra catalog and stuff like that, but some of the songs he chose for Kisses on the Bottom, I did not know. I had to right. look them up. Or like when you get to John Lithgow's version of the intro... <laughs> You're like, have right. I gone too far? <laughs> am I? Where am I right <laughs> is it, now? Is it time to stop? Yeah. 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 I found myself really tripping out on Inchworm, but we'll get to it. So we've agreed, I guess, there's some ambiguity around what a cover is, but we can more or less agree what it is. Do you have any albums, covers albums by other artists that you enjoy that mean something to you? Yeah. And one of the first that comes to mind, and I know this is one of yours too, is Todd Rundgren's Faithful. Hell yeah. And it arrogantly starts with him covering six of the best songs of the era and then six of his own originals on the B-side. And doing creepily, well, faithful versions of those songs. Let me take you down cause I'm going. It's like a freak show, almost, seeing how how close he comes. Yes. You know, the only thing else I've heard like that is Andy Partridge has his own version of Strawberry Fields, just like Todd does, Uh and it too is creepily accurate. It's a little different from Todd's, but like there's two guys who've done perfect recreation. So there's another version of covers, right? A recreation. Let me take you down. Like that Gus Van Zant Psycho remake, like shot for shot remake. Right, right, right. It's supposed to give you some kind of insight by recreating it as faithfully as possible. Yeah, Todd said the motivation behind that record was it was like treating rock music as European classical music, where a piece Ah. is performed over and over and over again in essentially the same way. Yes. And I remember in high school, some friend of the family saying, have you ever heard Todd Rundgren's version of Good Vibrations? You can't even tell the difference. Yeah. You know? (laughs) Yeah. Well, everybody was really pissed about that Psycho remake. I admit I've never seen it, but I I get the feeling that the director was up to something specific there. Yeah. So these are covers? Yeah, these would be covers, I guess, on Todd's album. Recreations, reimaginings. Sure. If Six Was Nine, I love that. I mean, all of these, embarrassing to say for me, is a couple of these, like Dylan's Most Likely, You Go Your Way and I'll Go Mine. That was the first time I had heard that. And then you go back oh, really? to yeah, you go back to Bob's version, and I'm like, oh boy, I think I like Todd's version more. And Ooh. You, yeah, and then you get in a Watch fight out. with some Bob Dylan guy. <laughs> Watch out, buddy. Yeah, yeah, exactly, right. <laughs> I thought of a few covers albums that I like, and they're all kind of interesting cases I'll go through them fairly quickly. Uh, Laura Nero, Gonna Take a Miracle, is sort of her origin story. It's her return to roots with the girl bands, basically. Van Dyke Park's Discover America is a very strange album. And I have to confess, I don't know the originals of all those Calypso songs. No, no, I don't know either. I know a few of the songs on side two, like acapella, the Alan Toussaint and stuff like that, but... 
for the most part, I know those songs only through Van Dyke Park's utterly frickin' oddball versions. That's a fun album if you've never heard it, by the way. Definitely look into Discover America. It's his second album, 72. Here's something Beatles-related. Kathy Berberian, The Beatles Arias. Ever heard that? No. No, I have not. Do you know who Kathy Berberian is? I don't. Please tell me. Uh, She's referred to in a Steely Dan song, actually, on Countdown to Ecstasy. She's a famous classical singer, but she was married to Luciano Berrio, and she was especially famous for contemporary music. And she did her own album of Beatles songs, and it is out of control. I'm going to play a little bit of it here. Okay. He said that living with me is bringing him down, yeah. For he would never be free when I was around. He's got a ticket to ride. He's got a ticket to ride. He's got a ticket to ride, but he don't care. That's pretty weird stuff. Yeah. We're basically doing an opera version of a Beatles song. But then she'll, you know, that place where she sort of slips into just regular singing for a second. It's just yeah, hilarious. Right. I think the album Stars and Hank Forever by The Resonance. It's songs by Hank Williams and songs by John Philip Sousa. <laughs> That's, so there's a Hank part and a Stars part. I don't know if the John Philip Sousa part really counts as covers, but the Hank Williams part sure as hell does. And, yeah. and if you don't know The Resonance... Well, go look up the rest of it. Go check those out. <laughs> Good looking. What you got cooking? How's about cooking something up with me? Hey, sweet baby, don't you think maybe we can find us a brand new recipe? Just got a couple more here. We've talked about The Bird and the Bee before, and I love The Bird and the Bee's Hall and Oates covers Ooh, that's album, amazing. Interpreting the Masters. Oh, oh that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. That is good stuff, and that's a nice tie-in with Greg Kirsten, who we'll be coming back to very soon. Oh, yep. And then finally, there's a couple Harry Nilsson albums. Nilsson Sings Newman. You know that one, right? I could stop on that one and talk about it for a bit, because that really is one of my favorite records. And Oh, really? Oh, yeah, it's just well, so tell me. good. So the album opens with this track called Vine Street, and it's effectively a song about a guy or girl, whoever is singing it, listening to an old tape of a band that they were in that failed. And so every version that I've ever heard, it starts with a little snippet of some other pop song, usually that the singer has recorded. And that's one of my favorite parts of that. 
especially yeah. especially this version. And it just goes, and the whole album is so sad. It really, like the cover is, it's Harry Nilsson in the driver's seat and Randy in the back, animated in some old 50s, 60s car. In the, it looks like the desert or in the hills somewhere, and they're just driving through America. And that's what the record feels like to me. That's a tape that we made But I'm sad to say it never made the grade That was me, third guitar I wonder where the other Speaking of Van Dyke Parks, Vine Street is most famous as the opening track on Van Dyke Parks' album, Song Cycle, his yes. first album. It opens with a little snippet of some bluegrass and then comes in with a, that's the tape that we made. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> that inimitable, weird Van Dyke Parks voice, but yeah. That's a tape that we made But I'm sad to say it never made the grade That was me Third guitar I wonder where the others are You know, getting back into Is It a Cover album? Randy Newman hadn't really made any of these songs that famous, except maybe Dayton, Ohio, 1903. And, I don't know, Living Without You maybe was kind of famous, Yellow Man. And these weren't the most famous songs ever. So they're really songs written by Randy Newman that Nilsson is interpreting. Right. As long as we're on the topic of Nilsson, there's a little touch of Schmilson in the night. Yeah, that's cool. I don't like it as much <laughs> as the last one, but that's a good one. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, the story with that album is that Nilsson knew his voice was about to go. Right. I didn't know that. Yeah. Nobody thought it made sense for him to do this album of standards, but he <laughs> knew that he was about to ruin his voice, that this was, this was it for him being able to do what he could do vocally and really thought it was important to do it right then. Wow. Or at least that's what they say on the Who is Harry Nilsson documentary. Yeah. Pussycats came after that. And that was the Lennon record and he where- destroyed his voice. He- whether it was, I mean, it's Harry, he's responsible for himself, but John was telling him to scream on that microphone and what blood was coming out on the mic. It's kind of a wild time in LA in the 70s, it sounds I like. I think we talked about this too once before, that John Lennon was a trained and experienced screamer. Harry Nilsson just didn't have that kind of voice. Right. He had that perfect, soft, kind of fragile voice, I think, and screaming until there's blood on the mic, which is what supposedly happened, and that was it for him as a singer, you know? At least yeah. the perfect singer that he had been. I like the concept of a trained screamer. That's amazing. The old Lennon rip. He could do it. Yeah, he could do it all day and not ruin his voice. Well, so could Paul, right? 
Like well, these guys yeah. trained. They like knew how to do that. I, we don't want to bore anybody with all of the, these records, but the point is there's many of these out there. And if you have some that we've forgotten or you want to touch on, email, Facebook group, let us know. It's the whole point of this episode. Well, it's that time again. I meant to read the big list. Can't wait to do it. Here it is for you. So, a list of songs Paul McCartney has covered as fast as I can. You know, starts Wildlife in 1971. Then there's this amazing tape that w- was found in the early 70s. I believe it's 74. The Backyard Sessions, where Paul is performing 20 Flight Rock, Peggy Sue, I'm Gonna Love You Too, Sweet Little 16, Loving You, and We're Gonna Move. And that includes a couple tracks, Blackbird, Blackpool. You know, it's kind of fun. Then on Red Rose Speedway, covers Tragedy. We already discussed that. Venus and Mars, the Crossroads theme. Then there is this amazing little record where Denny Lane takes the lead called Holidays. Heartbeat, Moon Dreams, Rave On. You know, the whole track list is out there. Thrillington. And I'm not sure if this even counts as a cover album because it's Paul doing his own songs, but they're instrumental versions of those songs. I wanted to include it to complete the collection. That's Ram, effectively. We skip to 87, where Paul performs Words of Love in the real Buddy Holly story. It's a movie. There's a little cover of You Are My Sunshine in 87 as well in the Power of Music documentary. Then in 1988 comes the big record, The Russian Album, which, you know, we'll get back to in a bit. Basically like the first version of Run, Devil, Run, the Russian album. From there, you have It's Now or Never from The Last Temptation of Elvis. Then a few tracks from Tripping the Live Fantastic, which we covered a couple on the last episode, and we'll maybe get into a couple today. I'm not sure yet. Then Unplugged, the official bootleg, has several covers. Several covers that don't really appear anywhere else, also. Covers a Noel Coward song called A Room with a View in 1998. And then you have Run Devil Run, which we'll get back to. Then Maybe Baby from that original soundtrack, the uh, Buddy Holly song. Finally, we'll talk about I'm Partial to Your Abracadabra. You have a whole chunk of songs from Concert for George, which is Paul covering George. I don't know if we're going to talk about that, because I think we did. We did, more or less. Yeah. Paul covers Volare. The song I Want to Walk You Home is on Attributes to Fats Domino. Covers a whole bunch of songs. There's a Klaus Vorman and Friends record. A whole bunch of stuff he starts doing live. And then you get Kisses on the Bottom, and it's extras, and it's bonuses. There's a few live tracks, but it's a lot of material. And that's it. That's the big list we're going to get to. The Brady List. Oh, boy. Oh, geez. Mr. 
So, to make matters even more complicated, the Beatles started their career covering music. And this has been documented and talked about in a million places, and we want to get back to Paul. But there are all these tracks on all of their early albums. Some of them are wonderful, too. Yeah. Till There Was You. Yeah, and Taste of Honey, Mr. Moonlight. Mr. Moonlight, Boys. The Carl Perkins song, Honey Don't. Words of Love. You, you got Long Tall Sally. Right, right, right. Dizzy Miss Lizzie, which was on Help. And I remember getting Help and being surprised that they were still covering songs at this point. But I'm like, I Me guess too. it's not that complicated. Like, why not? It's only a couple songs, though, right, on Help? Live at the BBC has a lot of them. There's a sequel to that, Live at the BBC Volume 2, which is more originals than covers, but there are a couple covers on there. And then Anthology 1 and three and maybe even two i don't know if a two has many covers on it though and then think of it the let it be get back sessions there are a lot of covers from that era so these guys knew a lot of songs and they were seeking out songs b-sides records and liverpool was a it still is it's it's a hub in england and all of these records would come through the port they'd get them from america and a lot of times, from what I understand, and again, a lot of this Beatle lore is other places, they'd get a lot of these records before other places in England would get them. The point is, Paul and John and George and, sure, Ringo, they knew a lot of songs outside of the songs that they wrote. And that's how you yeah. have to learn how to write songs. So that's a lot of great material. And we're sure our listeners are very familiar with the Beatles catalog and all of their covers. But it bears mentioning that a lot of the stuff we're going to get into with Run Double Run and the Russian album is Paul going really, truly back to his roots. Exactly. Love is a many splendid thing. It's the April rose that only grows in the early spring. Before we get back to the roots, why don't we catch up with the other Beatles? We haven't done this in a bit, and I know everybody likes it when we do it. Yeah, and these are some albums we haven't talked about. So why don't we start with Sentimental Journey from 1970 by Ringo Starr. It's his first solo album. Some people think of it as the first real solo Beatles album. I guess you could you could debate that, but it's produced by George Martin and has a pretty impressive roster of guest arrangers. I'm not always sure what kind of arranging they did. We'll come back to that. I suspect George Martin was doing some transcribing right. because we have Stardust arranged by Paul McCartney, but he didn't know how to write an orchestral chart. No. What does it mean to say that he arranged it? He sang it to or played it on the piano to Probably. George Martin? Is that? Yeah. yeah. Anyway, this is an album that was, I think, not well regarded at the time. Came out only a few months before McCartney. Actually holds up fairly well if you think of it as Ringo doing Ringo. Like this follows quite naturally on something like Good Night or even Octopus's Garden, things like that. 
that's one side of Ringo, and the other side of Ringo is don't pass me by and act naturally, which he yeah. took care of with Buku's Blues. So he's kind of showing everyone what his stuff is with these first two albums. Sure. There's one cool thing to point out about this album, which is that it has a song on here, Love is a Many Splendored Thing, famous song, arranged by Quincy Jones. And you know the Quincy Jones diss, right? The famous Quincy Jones diss? the Beatles about how they couldn't play or Paul couldn't play the bass or any of that? I believe the exact quote was, those are some no-playing motherfuckers. Well, there you have it. (laughs) And he specifically talked about working on this arrangement with Ringo and how Ringo couldn't get this one four-bar passage. And he finally went out for a break. And while he was out, they got a jazz drummer from down the hall to play it. And Ringo comes back in and says, well, let me hear it again. And they play it for him. He's like, that's not too bad. And Quincy Jones says, that's because not you playing, motherfucker. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Quincy Jones also went on to say that Paul McCartney is the worst bass player he ever heard. (laughs) <laughs> as a rock and roll bass player i think paul is is very good if not incredible yeah quincy jones is coming from jazz and like jazz sure well jazz and the ultra professional film and television world where everybody reads music and everybody gets it the first time so this is it's a different kind of music right and it's a different kind of professional life supposedly there was an apology <laughs> yeah, he called him. I believe yeah. that's what it was. He called that's, him. That's that's the story. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes I wonder why I spend the lonely nights dreaming of a song. The melody haunts my reverie. And I am once again with you When our love was new And each kiss an inspiration But that was long ago Now my consolation Is in the stardust of a song by the way, the album was going to be called Ringo Stardust at one point. because Amazing. Of, because of Paul's arrangement of Stardust. Yeah. The last thing I'll say about this record is Robert Christgau, to quote, for over 50s and Ringo maniacs. That's the whole review. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Funny, 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 funny stuff. I suppose the album is still for those people today. Correct. <laughs> well, it's Saturday night and I just got... us on to John Lennon's Rock and Roll, recorded in 73 and 74. It was begun after Mind Games, right before Walls and Bridges, and then Walls and Bridges was finished, and then they came back to Rock and Roll. The album was made because of some contractual issues, specifically a plagiarism lawsuit over Come Together. John had to agree to record some songs by the Levy Music Group. 
called Big Seven Publishers, and that was the court settlement, basically, that John would record several songs by Big Seven Music. He basically made a whole album out of that idea. Like, if I'm going to do covers anyway, let's do covers. Yeah. I think it's a dreadful album. Oh, really? <laughs> I can't stand it. Oh, I oh, like God. it. Yeah, I like it a lot. Unlistenable. Production-wise, it has everything that I hate about the production on Walls and Bridges. Murky, overproduced, canned-sounding... And the singing proves that you can scream your head off and still not sound soulful. Right. Hmm. Nah, it's a negative review from me, but I never liked this album. I like his Ain't That a Shame, which I think may be one of my favorite songs ever made of all time now. Oh, and the Rip It Up Ready Teddy, I used to spin at a bar in Brooklyn whenever I played Saturday Night. It'd be one of my openers, you know. It's Saturday night and I just got paid. You <laughs> call that. And people would always be like, who, who is it? What version of the song is it? I'm like, it's John Lennon. Oh, wow. By me, wasn't that a? Well, that's pretty good. Yeah, that, that stand by me was record. that was a single, that was a hit, and it's pretty good. Besides the music, my favorite part of this album is all of the drama behind the scenes. Like Phil Spector yes. once showed up in a surgeon's outfit and shot a gun <laughs> into the ceiling of the studio. Yeah, the ever stable Phil Spector. Yeah, I think I killed someone or whatever he says, and he calls nine one one. Oh, you definitely did, pal. And then yeah. on another occasion... This is lost weekend territory. Oh, right? but that's why it's so great. And then <laughs> somebody spilled a bottle of whiskey on an A&M's studio mixing console, and then they were all banned from the studio forever. And um, I just love all of the chaos behind the scenes. It is what it is. It's just John I just Lennon, hate rock the production. I just hate the sound of it. If you do like it, though, and you want to hear some more of this, if you check out Men Love Avenue... The posthumous release, side one of that album, collects up some leftovers from this period, including Angel Baby, which is actually kind of cool. Let's slide on into McCartney Land. We're going to skip Love is Strange because we already talked about it. Go back to our wildlife episode, respin that. We're going to skip Tragedy because we already talked about it. So we're going to talk about the Backyard Sessions or the Backyard Tape, which is not a very well-defined set of recordings. It seems they come from couple different places but the ones we care about come from elstree studios yes is that right right and those are mostly covers he does sing blackbird and i think blackpool maybe really he's screwing around but it's 74 and he's still in his prime and he just the fact he can just pick up a guitar and sing loving you that well yes or peggy sue for that and these are impressions like when he does peggy sue he's doing you know Oh, Peggy, he's doing all the little Buddy yeah, Holly stuff. It makes you wonder what were they doing? Because it's clearly 
They've got the camera rolling. He's talking to either a producer or a PA in the background. It's Paul McCartney. He's got five free minutes and he's making a record. <laughs> right. Do you guys want to go <laughs> Turn outside? the camera on. I got my guitar. Let's do Make it. A rec- right. <laughs> What's your favorite from this little batch of songs? I actually especially liked Loving You. That one yeah. really is nice. He brings some McCartney to it. It's not all just an Elvis impression. I will spend my whole life through Loving you Just loving you Winter, summer Springtime too Loving you Loving you Makes no difference but that one's really good oh and by the way did you notice that great day shows up here Yes, the little bit yeah, of Great Day is, where is it? It's on something. It's like at the end of one of the tracks. I forget which one. He just starts playing the chords. They are the chords. It could be right off Flaming Pie. Wow. I like Sweet Little 16, the whole Chuck Berry thing. And Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whenever I go back to this actual recording, Chuck Berry's, you're like, wow, the Beach Boys really ripped this right away for Surfing USA. Like it's almost the same song. It's almost the same song. Philadelphia PA and all that. Yeah. Right. Under pressure from Chuck Berry's publisher, Brian Wilson's father and manager, Murray Wilson. Ooh, what a guy that guy is. We could do a whole podcast on him. Gave the copyright, including Brian Wilson's lyric to ARC music. And that was Chuck Berry's affiliation, that company. So it's pretty wild, man, like what was happening in these early days. And it's kind of what we're talking about throughout this whole podcast. What's a cover? How can you lift without making it your original thing? It was just the Wild West. And I feel like this same thing happened again with hip hop. I think this is always going to be happening in music. I also like that he's in the middle of playing Blackbird. He pulls Blackpool out. Yes. I really dig that's that. That's cool. Where is that recording? Just put it out already. So that gets us into Holly Days from 1977, officially by Denny Lane. And we talked to Denny Lane about it in our extensive interview with yeah. him. He didn't have a ton to say about it, as I recall. I've got the LP right here, and it has like liner notes on the back. Right. It makes it pretty clear what the deal is. It basically says, you know, Paul recorded the basic tracks on a four-track machine, overdubbing everything himself. Denny and Linda added a few licks, and they all did the background vocals, and then Denny sang lead. So it sounds as if it's kind of a Paul McCartney album, and Denny sings lead. Denny didn't seem to remember it quite that way. He seemed to. He was saying he played a fair amount on it. So I don't. And know. he wanted it remixed. He said remastered. I'm pretty sure he said remastered. But it sounds like it needs a 
remix and a remaster. There's a note on the original LP. This album consists of monophonic recordings electronically reprocessed to give a stereo effect on stereo equipment, like huh. one of those records from the early 60s. Yeah. Right. <laughs> with that whole like reprocessed for stereo thing. No wonder he's a little dissatisfied with the sound of it. Yeah. I was surprised listening to the Buddy Holly records because, I mean, he died pretty young. I didn't realize he didn't yeah. really make that many recordings. There's that first album from 58 or 59. I mean, if you check out the complete catalog, he made a lot of recordings for how, right. how short his career was. But yes. It's the Elvis studio vibe where, wow, this is loose. This is a microphone or two or mm-hmm. how, however many they had. In the room, they press record. It's that classic in the movies where oh, you God. see through yeah. the glass where it's the the guy at God, the machine. And it just sounds and, so good. Yeah, yeah, and it sounds great. I think Paul, when he was producing Holidays, he's going for that same sort of thing. I'll tell you, we don't have to talk about it too much. I love Ravon and Fool's Paradise. I, yes. I could play the hell out of both of those. Well, those are great songs to begin with, but you're saying you like these versions, huh? I like wings or whatever it is denny's versions of those tracks the whole record's fun i think they should put it out the way you dance and hold me tight the way you kiss and say goodnight it's a crazy feeling and i know it's got me reeling when you say so really paul has made it very clear that buddy holly is one of his absolute favorites and we have a whole album here holly days pretty much devoted to that but we also have him doing peggy sue and other songs along the way he's made it clear that he thinks buddy holly is really one of the great songwriters and stylists who came out of early rock and roll well paul mccartney's paul mccartney for us is buddy holly that's his it sounds like that's his favorite artist and he owns all of the music now npl right they own all of the publishing and they take pretty good care of it. You know, you don't see it yeah. on every freaking commercial in the world. There was an annoying period where It's So Easy was like on a, I don't know, it was on like some cleaner. It was some oh, spray God. cleaner. Yeah, It's So Easy to clean up a mess with, you know, whatever it was, Formula 49 or whatever. Yeah. And that seems to have gone away. He seems to be taking care of Buddy Holly's stuff. Paul is very respectful and a great businessman, so I'm not surprised by any of that at all. So, you know, from there, the same year, Paul finally puts out Thrillington, And if we're talking about our thesis statement from earlier, is this a cover album? Because Paul's covering himself. Probably not. And he's, well, he's not the one covering it though, right? He's hired people to cover him. 
True. Did he contribute in any way other than I mean, he wrote the songs, but he didn't contribute to that album. Maybe there's a yell or a hand clap. I don't believe Paul even <laughs> plays a note anywhere. Yeah. So It's cool, though, that that exists, and I'm almost positive we talked about that in the Ram episode. We did talk about it. We played a little bit of it, and I have to tell you, I like Thrillington. It was a total mystery to me that there was this Thrillington album, and when I finally heard it, it was like... Dude, this is awesome. This is like lounge yeah. ram. How yeah. can this be? <laughs> there are a few of these mysteries which are so compelling from a marketing angle that when you actually find the thing, it's as good as the hype. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love Thrillington. So then there's a couple in the 80s. Words of Love, which was a performance Paul did like live in a barn or something like that for that real Buddy Holly story movie. And, you know, that's okay. It's a lot of Buddy Holly for me. It's, it's a lot of Buddy Holly. A lot yeah. of it. And then there's a Power of Music documentary that Paul's on where he's with these kids. And I'm not sure. I think they have some kind of learning disability or whatever. And he's playing You Are My Sunshine for them. And it's cute. It's a nice moment. From there, the big one. This is a big one. 88. The Russian album. The Russian album. Now, what do you think of this album, Ryan? If I'm being straight with you about this, I prefer Run Devil Run to this. Because I remember in the past you saying that this wasn't a favorite of yours. Well, I I put it on, and I want to like it, and I like his voice in this era, 86, 87, 88. Yeah. I think he sings really well. with his voice. Maybe it needs a remix or a remaster like the other one. It just doesn't, doesn't hit me as hard. I will tell you, though, that one of my favorite Paul McCartney covers is on this record. Don't get around much anymore. Hey, me too. Paul's version of this song is amazing. It's outstanding. And the first time I heard it, there's a CD single that is very, very similar to a few of these other configurations. Once Upon a Long Ago, the shorter version, 412, Back on My Feet, Don't Get Around Much Anymore, and then Kansas City. There you go. So just off the high of listening to Back on My Feet, maybe that's where the association is from. But yeah. Don't get around much anymore. What a great song. It's a great song. The original is actually Duke Ellington's Blanton Webster Band, 1940, and it's an instrumental track. Right. And two years later, Bob Russell in 1942 added lyrics to it, and it immediately became a hit. It has been done so many times. 
I'm a little embarrassed to admit that I first got to know the song from the When Harry Met Sally soundtrack. No, that's the Harry Connick Jr. version. That's a good version. It, it is actually a pretty good version. But it turns out the song goes back forever. I want to play everybody a little bit of the original, which is actually called Never Know Lament by Duke Ellington in 40. And then to give you a sense of the song with lyrics, I guess I'll play the Ella Fitzgerald version, which I'm partial to. Yeah, that's to. a great one. Okay, well, let's play those back to back and then we'll dive into Paul. So Paul's version, I think, is quite ingenious. And what I hear when I listen to it is a kind of 70s bubblegum pop vibe. Bubblegum rock in the 70s, like uh, Stuck in the Middle with You, that kind of 70s. (laughs) It reminds me a little bit of that kind of feeling, you know? But I know exactly what you mean. Almost the bass, not quite as sweet as the Bass City Rollers, but even Nick Lowe was making music like this back in this time. Exactly. Bass City Rollers, yeah. That's... That bubblegum stuff. Yes, exactly. This is a great song. You have other really great versions by Louis Armstrong, Shirley Bassey, who you know sang Goldfinger and a few and a couple other Bond tracks. Chicago has done a version of this. They did it in the '90s. The Coasters, you know, the Yakety Yak Boys. It's a true standard. Yeah, you can yeah. for the rest of the day probably listen to versions of this song because it's a really good song. If you pull up the chords and you're really playing around, it's very similar to his little track "Suicide" that hmm. never really came out. The the demo for Sinatra. It's not exactly the same, but some of the chord progressions, the, the D minor to the G, you know, the the one to six stuff. It's like seven of two, seven right? of three type yep. chords. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that sort of thing. So maybe that's where this comes from, and maybe that's why he's covering it. I'm not sure. I just know that I'm glad to have. It's a great version. I love when he does the, why bring back ma'am? Why bring I back, back ma'am? ma'am. Yeah. <laughs> it's so cool, yeah. It's on the time. And living is easy. 
In similar vein, I'm fond of this version of Summertime, and that's another way pre-rock and roll song. Mm. As a matter of fact, I don't know how many people have ever heard what Summertime really sounds like from the opera Porgy and Bess. Okay. I sent you a recording of it. And I you think, did, yes. Did you have any idea that it was like so harmonically weird with that Dorian note? No. And like, yeah, no, it's very creepy. It's almost rock and roll creepy. Yeah, I was like, wow. It's a creepy, creepy song. You can really feel the like heat. Like it sounds like sweltering heat. I've got a really old recording of that from 35, which is, it's essentially the original cast. And I'm going to play a little bit of that. Great. Yeah, this is among the earliest versions. Go and find the score of Porgy and Bess. This is what you'll see in the score. So this is the true original Summertime. And as you can see, this is a song that has been done again by so many people. people. El Martino, Sam Cooke has a great version. Billie Holiday. Right. On and on and on and on you can talk about. Paul gives it a nice dark blues take in 6-8 time. Reminded me, this is 88, right? And it reminded me of Robert Cray a little bit. It seemed like a straight up, like this could be a Robert Cray record, the way he's doing it. Interesting. Yeah, I can hear that. You know, that kind of smooth blues that Robert Cray was doing in the 80s? Right, 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 right.
Kansas City on the Russian album mm. and the, yes. the just the original song. So this is a this is a Lieber and Stoller, Jerry Lieber and Mike Stoller. They wrote it in '52. It was first done by Little Willie Littlefield, and it became a number one hit when it was recorded by Wilbert Harrison in '59. And I went back to that version, and it is un. Unbelievably good. I thought this was a little mm. Richard, but that's little Richard covering yeah. this this big hit that had happened in what the early fifties. Little Richard's is from fifty five. So we're into covers of covers. It's yeah. covers of covers, just stacks on stacks. I love this song. I totally understand why the Beatles covered it and why Paul pulled it out again for this record. A lot of energy on that. I'm really partial to this version of Midnight Special which I think is really yes. cool and thoroughly McCartney eyes. The way he does the straight eights, would you walk it to the table? Like that kind of thing. Right. So Paul McCartney sounding. And that song is ancient. That goes, you've dug up a lead belly version that blew my mind. Yes. That lead belly version. Yeah. I'm a lead belly fan, but I really only know the lead belly solo recordings, the Columbia recordings, CC Ryder and all that stuff. I had never heard this with those amazing background vocals. Right. We got to play a little bit of Lead yes. Belly's Midnight Special. Yonder come a miserable I knew her, do you know? Well, I know about a April and a dress she wore. I'm a river on the shoulder. She's a paper in her hand. I mean, how about that, right? What a holy cow. So it's Midnight Special Blues, or it's Midnight Special, or it's Midnight Special Train, or it's Big Midnight Special. The, apparently the song, they've traced it back as far as to the early 1900s, 1905, where the lyrics were first recorded in print by Howard Odium, you know? And it's, yeah. that's get up in the morning when the ding-dong rings, look at the table, see the same damn thing. And Paul tells this story, you can find it in a million places, but it wasn't published until 1923 as a traditional. Again, spend the rest of the day finding versions of this. There's great versions by Sam Collins. Big Joe Turner has an awesome version. Johnny Rivers. Big Bill Brunzi. So on and so forth.
unbelievable stuff. And it's, look, it's a lot of what was happening in the 50s. You'd have white audiences. You'd have black audiences. I mean, this is, you're thinking it's the 40s and 50s again. It is what it is. The white bands and artists are taking this amazing African-American music and bringing it into a new audience. It's exactly what's happened with hip-hop. The same sort of thing. Yeah. But one thing I realized reviewing for this, not that I didn't enjoy checking all this stuff out, but that I kind of don't give two shits about early rock and roll. Mm. It's really just not my stuff. That's not where I'm coming from. What will happen is that I will hear things that are so sonically compelling, like Little Richard Lucille. Right. I've rarely heard a man scream like that. That is just like primal. It's really like hair-raising, beautiful stuff. But in terms of the music itself, a lot of this stuff kind of all runs together for me. It's like, it's the stuff I complain about all the time on the show anyway. Like, uh, it's just a 12-bar blues. Why do I care? I begin to see as I go through all these recordings that I care because these people are bringing such a, a distinctive sonic sensibility to each of these records. Right. That that really is what it's about. Because I mean, when I think of the 50s, like, what do I listen to from the 50s? Well, Sinatra, Ella Fitzgerald early television music, film music. You know, I'm not a rock and roll, early rock and roll guy. I'm not a blues guy. I'm not really an early rock guy. But I did have a great time checking this stuff out. So yeah, it was a, and, it was a good little education. I mean, I hear you on all of that. I am the opposite where I went back to these things and I'm like, these songs and these recordings are better than all of the covers that I've ever heard of them. Like, Well, that I agree with. Like, I love this early rock and roll music. And I particularly like, like, I want to hear Fats Domino singing Ain't That a Shame. I don't want to hear Pat Boone or whoever he was singing Ain't That a Shame, you know? Well, of course you want to hear Fats Domino. Yeah. Yeah. I will tell you that I care a lot more about Elvis Presley's versions of some of these songs than I do certainly about the original bluegrass versions that he's coming from or country songs he's coming from. Right, right. Where Elvis, it just always sounds like such an explosion of talent and style to me, early Elvis. It just really sounds like nothing else from the period. It's easy to see how it stood out. Well, you have Just Because, and that's on this Russian album, Ugh. where yeah. you have Nelson's Hawaiian That's song. Sun Sessions. Right, right, Yeah, right, I mean, right, you don't right. get, that's like holy stuff, sacred holy stuff, Elvis Sun Sessions, you know? And what blew my mind is you go back to where this is from. It's a 19, what, 29, 30s, early 30s, something like that song written by Joe Shelton, Sidney Robin, and Bob Shelton by the Nelson's Hawaiians or whatever, however you pronounce it. And it's barely recognizable as the song that it becomes. Mm. But then you get to Sun Studios, Elvis grabs it, and it becomes this whole other thing. And yeah. that's what's yeah. amazing. Well, Blue Moon of Kentucky being the famous exam it's an old bluegrass song right and elvis comes around and turns it into just a whole new form of music really definitely rockabilly and that's different he's not just appropriating black music there he's taking white music he's taking bluegrass country music really and infusing it with r&b from the time early r&b i guess you'd say and and turning it into something else entirely same thing with laudie miss claudie that was by Lloyd Price and you know Fats Domino did it but I'm pretty sure the version everybody knows is Elvis's version some other interesting things on this album No Other Baby appears I guess as a bonus track here aha you you know a little uh, preface to Run Devil Run yeah I think that's the Dickie Bishop 
version you're talking about. Yeah, it was a specific version. It, it wasn't just his interpretation. It was, again, a cover, quite specifically. I mean, that's more or less this record. I mean, what's interesting about it is that he wanted to, Paul wanted to release an album in the UK outside his regular distribution channels, you know, making it appear that the album had been smuggled in from the Soviet Union. Really interesting idea, but EMI turned it down. Well, I'm looking at the LP right now. This is the 13-song LP, but I'm looking at the design of it here. It's Melodia Records with the Russian script, and it's all in Russian, So it, it, and it's a thin, it's a real thin cover like bootlegs are, so it is designed to look like a bootleg. Mm. It's charming. It really is. Yeah, so I guess Paul's manager at the time had a batch of LPs pressed. Maybe you're holding one of those copies, I'm not sure. And then McCartney said he wanted to release the album in the Soviet Union as a gesture of peace. An agreement was reached with the Soviet government-run record company Melodia, and they licensed, they did 400,000 copies originally. Pretty cool. It's an interesting little story that Paul would do this, especially at the time, historically. It's now or never. Come hold me tight. Kiss me, my darling. Be mine tonight. So there's one more thing on this album I did want to mention. It's not on the album. It's an extra track, but it's Now or Never, the Elvis right. song. I love when Paul McCartney sings Now or Never. I think it's a great song. It was always a favorite Elvis hit of mine. And I love Paul's version. It's an extra track, so you have to, you know, dig around for it a little bit. It's not on the official track list, but it was recorded during these sessions, and it is quite good. Do you know much about the band for the Russian album? Everything was recorded in about two days. Mm. All the tracks were recorded July 20, 1987. Mostly live in the studio, right? Yes. Or all live in the studio. I it's he... all live in the studio, yeah. Yeah, but he does some overdubs. Yeah, you're right, yeah. So don't get around much anymore. Ain't That a Shame and Cracking Up were recorded the next day, the 21st. Everything else was on the 20th. So on the 20th, it was McCartney, Mick Green playing the guitar, Mick Gallagher playing the piano, Chris Witten, who was a British session drummer, was on there. So He also played drums on Flowers in the Dirt, which is probably where you know him from. Or maybe that's what it is, yeah. He also played drums on Swing Out Sister and ABC. And the Pretenders. Wow. That's pretty cool. That's really cool. He was making the rounds in the 80s, huh? And then the next day, you had Paul Nick Garvey on bass, because Paul was just playing guitar on day two, and then Henry Spinetti on drums. So yeah, just a small group of guys. Mick came back on keyboards. So yeah, it was tight. It was quick. I like it. I enjoy the Russian album. If I had to wrap it up for myself... Listening to the original versions of the songs gave me a new appreciation for the covers, and then the covers give me a new appreciation for the original versions. And it's just, just cycle, song cycle in my head. Yeah, it's fun. Wonderful process. So a year later, It's Now or Never appears on The Last Temptation of Elvis, an all-star tribute. Now, I'm not sure if that's the version you're talking about 
or if it's a new recording, you know. I'm pretty sure the one that I got attached to is the one from the Russian album. What do you know about that, Ryan? And this is that version. So this is where okay. that version officially appears. The Last Temptation of Elvis. It looks like it was a UK record, and because I couldn't find it. But. <laughs> the Last Temptation of Elvis. What a great name for an album. That must have come out right around the same time as The Last Temptation of Christ. Is that what happened? I think the so, Martin Scorsese yeah. movie? Yeah. Okay. Life goes on day after day. So in 1989, there was a charity record released for the Hillsborough Disaster Fund of this song called Ferry Cross the Mersey. And that was, you know, that's a terrible thing. You can look that up. It's, you, I, I don't want to put too much negativity in this, but the song was recorded by Liverpool artists, The Christians, Holly Johnson, Paul McCartney, Jerry Mardson, and Stock Aitken Waterman. And it actually held the number one spot in the UK chart for three weeks the Irish chart for two. That's, so that's a little notable record there that Paul's on. So from there, you have Tripping the Live Fantastic. We talked about Cracking Up, Ain't That a Shame, 20 Flight Rock. We spoke about Sally in the last episode. And then the track Don't Let the Sun Catch You Crying. Yeah, I played the Ray Charles version of that. So that was 1990. Then in 91, Unplugged, Bebop Alula, the Gene Vincent tune. Blue Moon of Kentucky, which you mentioned previously. I really like that Gene Vincent original of that. No wonder that was so influential. It's just yeah. really cool. It's yeah. a really, really good, the original version is really great. That was 1956 when that was originally released. And there's yeah. a lot of different cover. Ver- well, you know, Fog Hat <laughs> did a version of Bebop Lula. <laughs> Queen has done a version of Bebop really? Lula. Yeah. Wow. The Stray Weird. Cats. I mean, that one makes sense. Well, that makes sense. I like the Stray Cats. I love, I actually love the Stray Cats. (laughs) Here's a fun fact for you, Mercer. When I was in high school, I played rockabilly slap bass in a band for a couple of years. And it was, the upright bass was one of the funnest experiences I've ever had. Yeah. Just to play the bass. you own an upright bass? Not anymore. I I had one at the time. It's all that. It's all that same riff. One, three, five. That's the You also have San Francisco Bay Blues, Back to the Unplugged. High Heel Sneakers, which is a pretty cool track, originally recorded by Tommy Tucker in 1963. There's kind of a cool version of it. It's kind of floating right along here. Ain't No Sunshine, the Bill Withers track, which I really like Paul doing that. And you know, Bill Withers' version is way superior, but it's cool that Paul tried to pull it off. Good Rockin' Tonight and Singing the Blues. 
do 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 singing the blues. You know, that's a that's a fun song. singing the blues. Why bring back Mem? Why bring back Mem? Good rocking tonight. That's Sun Sessions. Elvis. Right. Beautiful. Beautiful stuff. You know, I dug out the old acoustic guitar and you're playing along. You're like, yep, yeah, A, E, and D. It's it's more or less yeah, one, four, stupid five. Stupid songs. Yeah. Well, that's why I. it's not really my stuff. And I'm just listening for like stylistic and sonic things. It doesn't even occur to me I'm going to hear any cool chord changes, you know. Right. So 1999 rolls around. And I remember getting the best buy, whatever the... In the newspaper, or there's a magazine, a cutout they do, and I'm flipping through, and all of a sudden I see Run Devil Run, this really cool cover, and mm-hmm. Paul's wearing one of his Henley's shirts, the long sleeve shirts, playing the old casino. I think it's the old casino, the Epiphone Casino. And it's like a new Paul McCartney album. What? Yeah. Wait, what? what? And what? there wasn't much yeah. promo about it. I didn't hear anything more than seeing it in the Best Buy periodical. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this was an era where, you know, I could actually drive. And I would, yeah. the first day that that thing was out, zipped over to the Best Buy and grabbed it. And I have loved this album since I got it. And I revisit it. It's still as good. I have a very similar story. But it was at a time that I was rediscovering Paul. I was We've talked about it before. I was doing the Napster thing. I was finding all the songs I'd never heard. And, you know, it was just amazing. I was discovering Return to Pepperland and everything. It was just blowing my mind. And Flaming Pie was his most recent album. And I was in the La Jolla Tower Records. Yeah, that's right. La Jolla Tower Records. Wow. There was a thing at one time. And... What? Wait, what? There's a Paul McCartney album? What? 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 Wait, Wait, what? what? So I grabbed it. I just came across it in Tower. Like, holy shit. Paul yeah, McCartney, no promo. Wait, what? <laughs> what, what? What is, is this? this? And I loved it. There were some songs on there that I could not get enough of. In fact, probably the one that I kept going back to obsessively was Movie Mag. Movie Mag is great. It's a cool song. Carl Perkins wrote that song at 13. And he really did take his girlfriend to the movies on a fucking mule named Why Becky. not? Why not, man? Yeah. So Linda dies, what was it, 1998. And he takes that year off where, you know, we talked about this already, where he was just crying. And so he's back in the studio March 1st to May 5th, 1999. And they didn't think that this was an album. This is Paul just letting it rip. And there's a Chris Thomas quote. He wasn't thinking it was going to be his next big record. He was just free to enjoy himself. And I really strongly, truly believe that is why this holds up. Hmm. What, almost, yeah. what is it, 20 years since Run uh, Devil Run has been out? It is 20 years. Hard to believe that it's been that much time. And all of the complaints that, observations, let's reframe that, we've had about Paul's voice, they are not even here. They don't exist here. Now let me take you to the Mag so I can hold your hand Oh, it ain't that I don't like your house It's just that doggone man And I double bow behind the door And wait for Carl, I know Oh, climb up on old Becky's back And let's ride to the picture show I only see her once a week And that's when my work is through I break new ground the whole week long With my mindset straight on you 
And I thought it's of my old horse Beck And she looks good, I know So climb up on old Becky's back And let's ride to the picture show Now won't you let me take you to the show So I can hold your hand But it ain't that I don't like your house It's just that old man And that double barrel behind the door That waits for me, I know So climb up on old Becky's back And let's ride to the picture show Well, one of the other really interesting songs on Run, Devil, Run is Coquette. Now, this is a very old song from the 20s. A 1928 jazz standard by Johnny Green and Carmen Lombardo. Recorded originally by Guy Lombardo. And we can play you a little bit of the original 1928 version by Guy Lombardo and his Royal Canadians. This is the original, March 21st, 1928. Here it goes, Columbia Records. Tell me why you keep fooling little coquette Making fun of the ones who love you Breaking hearts you are ruling little coquette True hearts tenderly dream of you Someday you'll fall in love as I fell in love with you Maybe someone you love will just be So it's a foxtrot from 28 So this is how far back we're going for some of this stuff, right? Yeah. And this song has been recorded many times by many amazing singers you dug up some great ones on your Spotify list, and I encourage everyone to check out your list. The one that I'm the most partial to that you didn't include on your list is the Billy Eckstein version from 1953, which has some beautiful, tight harmonies. And of course, it has Billy Eckstein's big, gorgeous voice on it. And I think I'll play some of that. Tell me why you keep fooling little coquette. idea of coquette but it turns out that paul is not really trying to reimagine the song coquette from 1928 he's specifically interested in bats domino's version of coquette right because i think of it as as an old old song and i didn't even know as i said earlier the fats domino version until i did the review for this no, I mean, I didn't know about it either. And I, you know, I had to dig up all these versions. And I'm going to add that version, that Billy Eckstein version, so everybody can hear that too. Check out Ryan's Spotify playlist. What is it, 150 songs? Yeah, it's it's over 150 songs, seven hours yeah. of music. And you can all, 
enjoy. And I'm going to yeah. be adding to this and massaging it. It's like send some emails if there are versions you want to hear. I will actually add them to the Spotify playlist and we can pass this, this around and you can hear Paul McCartney's jukebox, you know? You know what? Let's play a little bit of that because that's what the Run Devil Run is based on. So let's play right. a little bit of Fats Domino. And we, we both love Fats Domino. So Definitely. Tell me why you keep fooling little kids making fun of the one who loves you. Yeah, so we can agree that's really different from Billy Eckstein from just a few years earlier. Imagine that Billy Eckstein is 53, and that's classic jazz vocals, right? Right. And what is this, three, four years later that Fats Domino's doing it, and he's turned it into a total blues tune. He's turned it into an R&B, woo. Yeah, (laughs) it's badass. It's just rock and roll, and I think Paul's version's great. Hey man, why you keep fooling, little coquette? Making fun of the one who loves you. Breaking hearts you ruling, little coquette. Like I said, I don't really have a lot of complaints about Run Devil Run. It's good stuff. Yeah, I like the originals on there a lot. Other songs that interest you on, you know, from the Run Devil Run sessions? You know, if I had to pick one more to talk about, it's called Party on the record, Mm -hmm. but the song is Let's Have a Party, and it's a single by Wanda Jackson, and... You gotta play this original version of her doing it, this young woman just ripping her voice. It is awesome. Let's check that out. Some people like to rock, some people like to roll, but moving in a groove is gonna satisfy my soul. Let's have a party. Let's have a party. The rest in into the store. Let's buy some more. Let's have a party tonight. I never kissed a bear. I never kissed a goo. So Elvis covered this track too on his album Loving You. And yeah. th- this is just a rip roaring good rockabilly rock and roll song from the late 50s. And what a time to be alive to have all. <laughs> This music was new at one point in time. And this is where the Beatles come from. This is where Wings comes from, all of this material. And you don't really appreciate that until you step back and consume it in context. Like it's another one of those moments I've had where I'm learning something I had no idea. Oh, yeah. And now all of you can hear it and learn it too. It's wild. Well, episodes like this and the songs Paul gave away... 
We are learning so much. Absolutely. There's another Run Devil Run related track, which is fabulous. Literally. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's really great. Now, it sounds like he's doing an Elvis impression, but I don't know that Elvis did the song, right? Isn't it by a guy named Charlie Grace? Yeah, I know Cliff Richard has done it, and that's Uh like England's Elvis, more or less. Yeah, it's Charlie Grace in 1950. Yeah, not really. Yeah, yeah, it's (laughs) close as you can get. Charlie Grace in 57. Well, I always knew I was crazy for you, but I know you threw me so. If this is love, it's fabulous. Your lips close to mine, but choose of my spine. And when we touch, I thrill so much. If this is love, Fabulous. He does it with this, it's fabulous. Like he really does it with that 50s. Did Elvis invent that sound and other people imitated it? Or? I think Elvis invented it. So it is safe to say we're giving Run Devil Run a big thumbs up. I give it a thumbs up, five bags of popcorn. I give it everything. I give it. Oh man, you got some Neil Hamburger in there. Yeah, I have to. A little Neil. <laughs> You know, from there, there's a cover of That's All Right, Mama. I'm really not sure where it's from, but I found it. It's from 2000. I'm sure somebody out there knows more than I do about it. If yeah, I still, still going back to Sun Sessions. Yeah, I believe it's from Good Rockin' Tonight, the legacy of Sun Records. There was a compilation that was made, and you can dig that out if you want. Really, really cool. Okay, so coming up next, you've got two tracks that I've been waiting to talk about, maybe since I first heard them back in 2000 and 2001. The first is Maybe Baby from the Maybe Baby original soundtrack. Really, really fun recording. a cool cover modern great background vocals good energy when i first heard this it came on the radio a little alarm clock radio that i still have i'm looking at it right now i can't believe i still have it it was on some beatles morning program i heard it on a sunday morning in chicago and i thought 
it was an original. I'm like, wow, is this the next thing he's going to do? Because we had just heard Run Devil Run. So I guess maybe this is, now that I'm exploring this, part of why I was disappointed in Driving Rain, because I thought we were going to get a classic McCartney rock and roll record. But we didn't, and that's fine. Yeah, yeah. But maybe, maybe, that's pretty good. Yeah, I know it was recorded in 99, so that's a couple years after Flaming Pie. So he still had a good relationship with Jeff Lynne, and he wanted to make another record with him. And it's two minutes, right? It's really short. It's quick. Well, it comes from a soundtrack. There was this movie. It's a BBC movie, right? Kind of a rom-com? Melanie C. is on the soundtrack. No, 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 no. She's on the soundtrack. I was wrong about that. (laughs) Westlife is on it. You have Pump It Up by Elvis Costello is actually on there. Check that soundtrack out. It doesn't have a high rating on all music. It's got a three-star rating. But most soundtracks, I feel, except for a choice few, don't really make the grade. track up here it is folks you've been emailing us about it for five years or however it's been i'm partial to your abracadabra okay when i first discovered this on napster i assumed it was a paul mccartney song right oh my god i loved it back in the napster days we didn't have ipods and stuff we didn't really fangled devices back in those days. So what you did was you downloaded all this shit from Napster and BearShare, and then you burned a CD of it and you played it in your car. And that was, I'm partial to your abracadabra was always my first track on my weird Paul CDs. Yeah. Like, man, I always started with that and I sang along with it. And I was kind of disappointed when I actually heard the Ian Jury and the Blockheads version. But yeah, it's that whole new wave stuff, that late 70s thing. Well, it's in the same key, but he he sings it down an octave from where Paul sings it. Right. And he yeah. sings it in a pretty thick Cockney accent. Partial to your abracadabra. <laughs> it's really funny how, you know, how he sings it. And yet, the instrumentation is pretty much the same, and it is the Blockheads playing on the Paul McCartney version. How cool is that? It's Paul McCartney and the Blockheads. Glad that's over. So the, the album was 1977, New Boots and Panties. So the Ian Jury version 
with the Blockheads, it's the same instrumentation. So we're basically hearing Paul McCartney and the Blockheads do this song, and I love how Paul sings it. His voice sounds amazing on yeah. this. I love it. It's great. And it's a fucked up song, too. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> he likes it when you leave it alone. <laughs> oh, boy. I noticed there's an explicit lyrics warning on the Blockheads version, but it's vague. Like, the explicitness is kind of vague, isn't it? Am I missing something? No, the it just language sounds like is, he is talking about a penis. It sounds I, like he's talking about a penis I, sometimes, but he's saying weird things about a penis. Like yeah, he likes it when you leave it alone. Yeah, it's very. Cl- it feels, and I don't quite get what's explicit entirely, except that it seems like it's about heavy petting. I guess it's about heavy petting, right? I'm not really sure. It seems like a lot of local slang, and from what I understand, it's very clever sketches of British life, the whole record. I have the vinyl, the original vinyl, and a few of the singles. Oh, do you? Sex and Drugs okay. and Rock and Roll is amazing. Right. Razzle okay. in My Pocket's amazing. Sweet Gene Vincent. It's worth, the whole The whole thing is worth a spin. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that because I do have the LP. Let me look at the side. It's Live Stiffs. And yeah. this does have Ian Dury and the Blockheads, and they're doing... Several songs, Wake Me Up and Make Love With Me, Sex, Drugs, and Rock and Roll and Chaos. And what is this song? Billery K. Dickey? Yeah. Yeah, that's I on there. I, I'm out of my element here. I have this album just because of the two Elvis songs, really. but And the Nick Lowe stuff. Well, yeah, it's from that whole scene. That period. And, yeah, and yeah that, that whole his scene. His first yeah. three records are pretty great if... You haven't heard him, but yeah, Paul's definitely doing the Paul McCartneyized version of the song. Paul does this cover of Olare Live in 2003 that's pretty cool. You can check out online. Going Home, a tribute to Fats Domino, which is a great record from 2007. Paul covers I Want to Walk You Home. Pretty straightforward cover. You that's can hear pretty that. Cool. Yeah, that's cool. Then he's doing the Hippie Hippie Shake. He does I'm in Love Again on Vorman and Friends, A Sideman's Journey in 2009. Right. And he also sings it as a soundcheck. Right. There's a few other live songs, soundcheck songs, Slow Boat to China, Tequila, Hitchhike. Then you get It's So Easy, another Buddy Holly cover in 2011 that I found on a deluxe version of New that I believe is a bootleg, but that's neither here nor there. So then you have Kisses on the Bottom, which... Was another surprise for me. I was like, what the heck is this? Terrible title. What was he thinking? Yeah, that's, well, that's Paul. (laughs) I get that it's a quote from that great song, and that is a great song, but dude. Yeah. (laughs) Kisses on the bottom. It just, you should have just called it my ass. People are kissing your ass. That's what your title is. You know, should have just called it my Valentine because that great original that's on there, but that's too bad. They're, Two great originals on there. Only Our Hearts, you're talking about? Only Our Hearts. I I like that one better than My Valentine, yeah. So this is a fun album, and this is getting back into... This is actually pre-Sinatra. I mean, Sinatra does a few of these songs, but this is actually material that Sinatra would have considered maybe too old in some cases. Well, yeah. I mean, there's a lot on here that I had never heard or I have heard, and I it's like, you're like, where have I heard this before? And as you go digging, it's like, oh, this is in a musical that I saw at this one point in time. Or, oh, this was cut yeah. from Guys and Dolls. It's not in the Guys movie and version. Dolls, yeah. yeah. 
it feels like the run, devil, run thing. From what I understand, Paul wanted to do this for a long time. First of all, I really like his singing on Kisses on the Bottom. Yeah, me too. And it's interesting because he's going ahead and being Paul McCartney. So he's making a really unusual use of his upper register for a crooner. Yeah. And actually, with a few exceptions, I'm going to tell you what they are in a second, but with a few exceptions, really, the crooners who were tenors, that's a 20s and 30s thing. Right. And actually, when Sinatra finally like kind of made it solid what a crooner is, it became baritone. So if you're a crooner, you're a baritone. But the ones who weren't baritones in the heyday of crooning were, were, for example, Tony Bennett. He was always a bit of a tenor. And actually, Mel Torme is a bit of a tenor. And this is the kind of singing that those two guys would do with a little infusion of that 20s stuff that Paul is referring to. So Paul has come up with a really interesting take on crooning here. Furthermore, he's doing his own background vocals, which you would, of course, never hear in yeah. a classic crooner. No. So you, you get the kind of pop rock thing where you, you stack the vocals. You do your own voice for background vocals. You get that on here. Yeah, it's an interesting take on crooning itself. And I think he sounds great. I think he sings really beautifully. And I think it's a, an interesting and very old take on what a crooner is i read back when this came out and i guess i cannot believe this record is as many years old as it is when we're releasing this podcast it's like where is time going you know the producer said to paul or somebody said to paul like microphones are like people they don't like when you yell at them they like when you whisper or you talk softly into them and you can hear him doing that throughout Hmm. maybe that's why his voice sounds so nice. Apparently, the rhythm arrangements are Diana Krall, the great Diana Krall. Yes. We talked about her on the Songs Paul Gave Away episode because he gave her a great song, If I Take You Home Tonight. I'm guessing the Paul Elvis Diana Krall connection, that's what's happening here. Mm. Am I right? Mm-hmm. Probably I'm right because Elvis is married to Diana Krall. And that's a marriage that seems to have lasted. <laughs> no further comment. Somebody finally and, yeah, tamed Elvis. <laughs> yeah. And so she did the rhythm arrangement. So what I'm understanding is that basically Diana Krall at the piano kind of leads a combo, leads a jazz combo. Yeah. And Paul's singing. And then you have a guy named Alan Broadbent who has been around the block a few times if you look at his... Uh, discography. Right. He did the arrangements and conducted the London Symphony Orchestra. It might seem like a big deal, the London Symphony Orchestra, but they are actually kind of an orchestra for hire. You know, if you come up with the money, they will play on your thing. So that's what happened here. So you have a a very good arranger and conductor, Alan Broadbent, working with the LSO, doing what I assume are overdubs on top of Diana Krall's rhythm arrangements, which are excellent. So it's it's an all around good sounding album. Agreed. See, what are some of the tracks on here that, you know, you want to discuss because there are Inchworm. Oh, yeah. Let's go right to Inchworm. (laughs) You know, I was introduced to Inchworm, maybe this is embarrassing, very recently by Lisa Loeb. Okay. She did a whole album of like children's songs and they're all fantastic. It's a wonderful album. And that's where I first heard Inchworm. And I'm a little embarrassed to say that because the song goes way back. Way back, yeah. And since then, I've discovered the original Danny Kaye version, which is from the 1952 Mm. film Hans Christian Andersen, written by Frank Lesser, by the way, also wrote Guys and Dolls. 
but it's not that great. You can look it up on YouTube. It's all right. It's really, along with Lisa Loeb, for me, it's the Sesame Street. Yeah. It's the Sesame Street version. That's a cool With the harpsichord, like the birds singing. That's an amazing version. Totally agree with you on all of that. This has been in Quantum Leap. Al, played by Dean Stockwell, sang it. You had... (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Dean Stockwell. Dean Stockwell finally made his debut appearance on Take It Away just now. Then Anne Murray, remember her? Kenny Loggins has a version. Mary Hopkin, Doris Day. Everybody, yeah. Yeah, you could go on and on. And I said earlier, John Lithgow has a frightening version that he does you can find online. Maybe I'll play it. Maybe I'll play a little bit of it. I really want to play Lisa Lowe yeah, you should. Sesame Street. But maybe we'll play a little John Lithgow, too. You make it sound pretty interesting. Let's see yeah. what that sounds like. Yeah. This is a song about an inchworm. He's called an inchworm because he's exactly one inch long. He's very good at arithmetic, and you can use him to measure the marigolds. Now you be the inchworm and sing his song about arithmetic. It goes like this. Two and two are four. Four and four are eight. Eight and eight are sixteen. Sixteen and sixteen are thirty-two. You try it.
Yeah, this song's been around the block a few times. It certainly and it's not has. much of a song. No. <laughs> but it's haunting. Why is it it's so haunting? Haunting is an understatement, but I love it. Yeah, with the powers of two. <laughs> two and two are four. Reminds me of The Shining or something. Like they should have, those girls should have been singing this song down the hallway. Inchworm, inchworm, coming to get you, Danny. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Measuring the miracles You and your arithmetic You probably go far Inchworm, inchworm Measuring the miracles Could it be you stop and see How beautiful they are What else do you like on here? You know, I like a lot of these. This is a record I would put on when I would clean my apartment a lot. It's not something I would put on and just sit and listen to. It's just very pleasant. It's relaxing. I'd like It's Only a Paper Moon a lot. Mm, it's just a great song. Yeah, it's that's the thing. It's all these are really, really well done songs. The Glory of Love. Accentuate, accentuate the positive is the title. That's a John, yeah, my uncle Johnny, your uncle Johnny Mercer. I think that my very good friend, the milkman, is funny. I'm fond of get yourself another fool. Yes, I know it from two previous versions. I know the Sam Cook version. Uh, I really love the Elvis Costello version of get yourself another fool. Yeah, I that's great. I'll play a little bit of that here. It really captures the pathos of that song. At last I've awakened To see what you've done All I can do Is back up and run Now I know the rules Find yourself Another fool You said that you loved me I was yours to command Your kind of loving My heart couldn't stand You played me for Another fool And now Now that we're through You say you meant to be true But deep in your heart Our love 
could never grow I tried to believe you That we'd never part But your kind of loving Just broke my poor heart Now I know the rules Go get yourself another fool So yeah, this is a great record. I, You know, what's there to say? It's really a fun spin. There are live versions on the bonus disc. It wasn't really as well-received as Run Devil Run. It's, yeah. Because it's its own sort of thing. There's yeah. Hope, If I Take You Home Tonight, and then a third unknown original that were left off of this record. I think My Valentine is one of those special... Paul McCartney songs, I mean, maybe it's too soon to say, but it kind of hangs up there with something like Calico Skies, where it's like, okay, Mm. later era could really withstand the test of time. We'll see. I'm not sure. Well, I like Only Our Hearts a lot. Again, really good singing here. And damn Stevie Wonder on harmonica. God, how does that guy play harmonica like that? Seriously. (laughs) Practice. Have you ever tried playing harmonica? Yeah, it's, I'm terrible at it. It is, it is the most ridiculous instrument. How he can like play it with such precision has always blown. I mean, and then Toots Tielemann and all those great guys. Yeah, like I have a hard time just isolating single notes on harmonica. I have a hard time talking. So yeah, it's amazing. Okay, we got to say this, otherwise we'll get some more bricks thrown through our car windows. He does Baby's Request. He brings back yes, a Back to does. the Egg. Well, we Chestnut. did mention that on the Lawrence Juber episode, because Lawrence took some credit for the fact that it finally ended up being a trombone solo after all. Yes. Oh, yeah, I do remember that. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, so we made it through everything. We probably How missed some that? things. But how it's about a lot it? Of yeah. Stuff. Made it through a whole lot. Is there anything you learned? Have we have we figured out what a cover is? I think a cover will always be an ambiguous thing. I think we know it when we see it, like pornography. Wasn't that a Supreme Court justice? <laughs> yeah. You know, it has to have been made sufficient either sufficiently famous or it has to have been owned in some way by another person on record. Yeah, and Kisses on the Bottom, probably it's more of a standards album than a covers album. You'll know it when you hear it.
Hey everyone, we have not done this in a while. Just want to say thank you to our donors who have kept this show going. There are some new ones. So Bay Horse Incorporated, Terry Crocker, Paul Stavely, Darren Fry, Emmanuel Prell, James Keating, Linda Michelle Olson, Matthew German, Matt Kismal, Bruce Moses, Fuzz Dandy, James Funker, Carl Magnus Palm, David Groenwegen, Douglas Stone, Dirksen Dirksen, Bram Van Jike, I believe, Tracy Ann Mears, Carl Magnus Palm, Christina Matson, and Rob Rotaro. And if I've said any of those wrong, just email us and I'll say your name again on air. I swear I'll do it. We really wouldn't be around without you. There are a lot of costs that come into this show. You keep us going. It really does take a lot of the edge off. So, you know, if you're listening at this point, if you do have something you want to send, we do do the show for nothing. We put a lot of our money into it. And if you want to send 20 bucks, 50 bucks, 100 bucks, just to keep this thing up and alive, a buck, five, what does it matter? We would appreciate it. Thank you very, very much, and we will talk to you soon. Thanks. Our theme music is Martha, My Dear by John Lennon and Paul McCartney, realized by Ryan Brady. Take It Away, the complete Paul McCartney archive podcast is powered by Pippa.